We are reading from Exodus 14. As Pharaoh drew near, the Israelites looked back, and there were the Egyptians advancing on them. In great fear, the Israelites cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, Was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us, bringing us out of Egypt? Is this not the very thing we told you in Egypt? Let us alone and let us serve the Egyptians. For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. But Moses said to the people, Don't be afraid. Stand firm and see the deliverance that the Lord will accomplish for you today. The Egyptians whom you see today shall never see it again. The Lord will fight for you and you will only to keep still. Then the Lord said to Moses, Why do you cry out to me? Tell the Israelites to go forward, but lift up your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it, that the Israelites may go into the sea and on dry land. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea. The Lord drove the sea back by a strong east wind all night and turned the sea into dry land, and the waters were divided. The Israelites went into the sea on dry ground, the waters forming a wall for them on their right and on their left. The Egyptians pursued and went into the sea after them, all of Pharaoh's horses, chariots, and chariot drivers. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the sea, so that the water may come back upon the Egyptians, upon their chariots and chariot drivers. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and at dawn the sea returned to its normal depth. As the Egyptians fled before it, the Lord tossed the Egyptians into the sea. The waters returned and covered the chariots and the chariot drivers, the entire army of Pharaoh that had followed them into the sea. Not one of them remained. But the Israelites, they walked on dry ground through the sea, the waters forming a wall for them on their right and on their left. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Israel saw the great work the Lord did against the Egyptians. So the people feared the Lord and believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. Songwriter and singer Sarah Groves has a, a song called Painting Pictures of Egypt. It has this great line, the future feels so hard and I want to go back. You ever felt that? Have you ever felt that, especially in COVID, in the minute when we found ourselves for this last year caught in the unknown of what was going to come and we just wished we could go back, back to the good old days of January 2020, perhaps. I teach on, I consult, I coach on organizational change leadership. I teach on how to lead change, especially when you are in completely uncharted territory, when you're in a world like we've been in, when there are no maps, there are no best practices, there are no experts, and when literally you are learning as you go and you are learning to take one faithful step after another. And one of the key principles is you cannot go alone but you haven't succeeded until you've survived the sabotage.
sabotage. It seems like a brutal word for church, but it's a reality about human experience. Uh, Rabbi Edwin Friedman, who was also a marriage and family systems therapist and a consultant in Washington, D.C. He worked in a congregation. He worked with families. He worked in the government. He saw dysfunction at every level. Um, he used to say that sabotage is part and parcel of a leadership experience. That if you're trying to lead any kind of change, change in your church, your institution, your school, your family, yourself, then you can't declare success until after you've made the change and then survived the resultant sabotage. He said it happens 100% of the time. And so sabotage is a normal part of human experience, far more normal than we ever want to let on. Uh, that tendency we have to take on um, new initiatives, to step out in faith, to respond to the Spirit, to hear the call of God, and to move forward. Well, very, very often, what happens right after you make the commitment, right after you take the step, right after you say yes to the call of God, is that you will sabotage. Sabotage speaks to the deep human tendency to want to go back to what is familiar. Sabotage is that thing that happens when the very people who start out on the mission of God stop the work of God. When the people who called you to lead them forward into the mission of God then stop you from leading them. When those who signed up to join you pull back in fear, or when those who called you to lead them then start criticizing you when you start doing so. When I teach on sabotage, I always want people to know that sabotage is not the bad things that evil people do. It's the human things that anxious people do. Sabotage is normal. It's natural. It's to be expected. It's a profoundly human reality. Because sabotage comes from fear, and fear and sabotage have always been part of our story as the people of God. Uh, the story of Exodus is, until the resurrection of Jesus, the biggest story in the Bible. It's the story that gives the people of God their identity. It's the story that prepares the people of God for the Savior. They revisit it over and over and over again. Um, they were told to remember. And whenever they said remember, what they meant was remember the Exodus story. Uh, Rabbi Abraham Joshua Heschel once said that all the Bible teaches could be summed up in one word, remember. Another Old Testament scholar once said, the Bible doesn't give us models to emulate, but mirrors with which we identify. And this is a powerful passage that we, I believe all of us can identify. As Christians, we discover that we have a faithful, powerful God, and we are a fearful, sabotaging people. And we are together trying to move God's redemptive plan forward. Sabotage is actually part of that story. Sabotage, sabotage is part of our story. Sabotage is a recurring part of the story, and it's a recurring part of our own story. The fears that are so powerful that we will very often fall victim to them even after we've experienced the overwhelming power and freedom of God. Think about your own story. How do you tell about how God rescued you, saved you, set you free? 
Do you remember your own exodus? Do you have your own exodus story? For me, it was a God who met me as an angry teenager in the midst of my parents' divorce. As my family died in front of me, I wondered, really, if I would ever trust again, if I would ever love again, if I would ever belong again to something bigger than myself. I wondered if I was enslaved to my history, to my family of origin, genetic makeup, to the patterns that you can map in a genogram over generations that felt so dysfunctional and damning. I met a group of people who introduced me to Christ and the freedom and forgiveness that Christ offers. They showed me the love of a father who would not let me down. I found a calling in doing for other young people that what they had done for me. And eventually I met a girl. She too came from a broken home and she became my first friend who understood what it was like to be from bro a broken home. And we became friends and we fell in love and I married her. <laughs> we learned to love again by learning to love each other. Today, I've been married to that girl for over 32 years. We have two adult children who are people of deep faith and incredible compassion. We've had a life that I almost never could have imagined when I was that angry teenager so many years ago because God entered into my life and saved me and rescued me and healed me and set me free. I know the redemptive power of God. I know the freedom that God brings. This is my story. So why even now do I so often become afraid? Why do I sabotage the very things that God has called me to do or be part of? Why now do I fear speaking up for justice or reaching out in love or taking a risky step to move the mission of God forward in the world and in my life? We participate in sabotaging the work of God in the world even the work of God in our own lives, because fear is the last thing from which we are freed. When we are fearful, we want the familiar. Uh, think about this for just a second. Um, the root words for family and familiar are the same root word. So when you are in unfamiliar territory, in an unfamiliar place, stepping into an unfamiliar task, Internally, you feel as if you've lost your family. You feel abandoned. You feel orphaned. You're like a kid in the grocery store who got so caught up in looking at cereal boxes that you all of a sudden you didn't notice your parents were gone on to the next aisle. And that sense of panic that makes you drop everything and want to run to mama is the experience that we all have internally when we are fearful. We want to run back to what is familiar. We want to go home. We want to get back to the place that feels like we're with our family again, even if that family is wildly dysfunctional. Fear is the last thing from which we are freed. When we are fearful, we want the familiar. But God is always calling us forward. Exodus 14, 15, tell the Israelites to go forward. In Exodus 14.31, we hear a statement that almost feels like a happy ending, like me telling you about Beth and my marriage. So the people feared the Lord and believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. 
What a great moment. They finally got there, right? What a story. God frees them from Egypt, sends them toward the promised land. He knows they are so fearful. In Exodus 13, he sends them a different way. He knows that if they run into their ancient foes, the Philistines, they might want to go back. So he actually directs them a different path, an unexpected path, because it's a path that goes right into the cul-de-sac that is the Red Sea. And when they find themselves staring at the Red Sea, and all of a sudden they realize that Pharaoh has decided to send the chariots after them, seeing the chariots come in the distance with the sea on one side and the chariots on the other, they do what we all do when we get fearful. They blame the leader. <laughs> Exodus 14, 11, Was it because there were not graves in Egypt that you have taken us to die in the wilderness? Let us go back. It'd be better to be slaves, they said, than to die here. And God hears their cry and tells them to do the unimaginable. Go forward. Wade into the water. Watch what I will do. You know the rest. It's such a great story. God parts the sea. They make it across on dry ground. The chariots follow, and then God releases the water, and the Egyptian army is drowned. And we hear in Exodus 14, 30 and 31, the Lord saved Israel that day. Israel saw the dead Egyptians on the shore. Israel saw the great work the Lord did. So the people feared the Lord and believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. Amen. Hallelujah. God reigns. We are saved. It is a great story. And then Exodus 15 is two praise songs. Moses sings a song. Miriam sings a song. It's a worship service. That's what we have. And after the worship service, they start on the journey. And in Exodus 16, we have two verses, two verses, two songs, two verses, six weeks. Six weeks after the greatest miracle that the world would see until the resurrection of Jesus, six weeks later, they're saying, you know, we could go back. Why? Because the food is scarce. Because they didn't realize they'd be camping, that they were heading into a wilderness, and they begin to grumble. Two songs, two verses, six weeks, grumbly tummies, and they're saying, you know, they killed our children, but at least we had leeks and onions for lunch. We could go back. The whole congregation complained against Moses, it says in Exodus 16 too. If only we had died in Egypt while we ate our fill of bread. You brought us out here to kill us with hunger, they said. Here's the lesson we learn from Israel's story. We are fearful even after, we, after we've experienced freedom. We are fearful after we've experienced years of freedom. We are fearful for so long because, and when we are fearful, we want the familiar. Fear is the last thing from which we are freed. And God is always moving us forward. From this story, we learn that God knows our fearful hearts. In Exodus 13, he knew their fearful hearts and called them anyway. If people face war, they may change their minds, he says. So he sends them in the safest way we find that God is constant to us, present to us, present in power and faithfulness, presence in the pillars that would go before us, 
the purpose in God's directive to gain glory for myself, he says. And that even still, when we face the unexpected, we will default back to the familiar. God knows our fears. God's present to us in our fears. God releases us and frees us, heals us, moves powerfully in our lives, calls us forward. And even then, when we get afraid, we want to go back, go back to the familiar. Fear is the last thing from which we are freed. So what can we do? First, be wary of your fearful heart. When we're fearful, we want the familiar. And so the next time that you are afraid, ask yourself the question, is this just because it's unfamiliar? Do you believe that God could be leading you forward, leading you into something new, taking you to some place that will bring out the depths of his love for you, reveal the grace of God's presence in your life? Be wary of your fearful heart. Second, Witness to the presence of God in your midst. Remember, tell stories. We need to tell more and more stories about God's faithfulness in our lives, about how God has met us in power, about how God has freed us from the past, how God has met us even in our fearfulness, how God has guided us forward, how God has done the most remarkable things, like leading us straight into a giant sea and it's surprising us when it opens to something we, that was unimaginable and unexpected. Be wary of your fearful, fearful hearts. Witness to the presence of God in your midst. Wrap arms around each other. <laughs> One of my favorite parts about being a Presbyterian is that deep in the Reformed Midrash, as it were, is that this story, why do we baptize babies? because they were carried through the Red Sea. That water that splashes on their heads is a reminder that we were, that all of us were splashed and sprinkled, that we went into the sea together and we came out the people of God on the other side. Every time we baptize a baby, we are reminded that we are part of a story that is bigger than our consciousness, that we have a story that goes back beyond what we could possibly remember. And that every time we would baptize a baby baby who may have no more capacity for this moment than to spit up on the pastor's suit, we are reminded that we are loved, carried, held, and that we don't go forward alone. Wrap arms around each other. Stay together. Be wary of our fearful hearts. Witness the presence of God in our midst, wrap arms around each other, and wade in. Wade in to this moment of fearfulness. Wade in to the unfamiliar. Wade in to the call of God that is calling you beyond what you can imagine. Wade in to the unexpected and see what God will do. Face the fears one step at a time. Step into the Red Sea, eat the manna, drink the water from the rock, and go forward. Dear friends, that the root of this story is the God who so profoundly loved and claimed God's own people that he took them on a journey that would transform them. 
But throughout this story is the reminder that the God who calls us forward goes ahead of us, like with a pillar of clouds and a pillar of fire. That the God who's present to us, that the God who knows that we are fearful people and knows that we are so fearful we will even sabotage the very call of the Spirit on our lives, still calls us anyway. Some years ago, a friend and I decided that we would um, try to check something off the bucket list. <laughs> we would do this crazy thing called the Iron Man. Some of you know this. Two pretty big dudes who spent a couple of years swimming and riding bikes and running for miles and miles on end until finally we came to the place where we were prepared to spend one whole day for 14 hours swimming and riding a bike and running. And we entered the Ironman in Canada outside Lake Penticton. And the night before we showed up and we were prepared with the participants and competitors dinner, a big pasta feed where they give you some instructions. And they prepare you for the next day where you're going to swim two and a half miles, where you're going to ride your bike 112, and then you're going to run a marathon all in one day. And as we were sitting there nervous after having trained for a couple of years, knowing that we just wanted to make sure that we were able to go forward through this experience, they said they were going to have a person come and speak to us. And they invited up a Catholic nun. <laughs> My friend and I looked at each other, two Presbyterian pastors who thought, this is amazing. And this nun stands up in front, and she wasn't just any ordinary nun. She was Iron Nun. Her name was Sister Madonna Buter. She's the world record holder in her age group, over 75. She also holds the record for being the oldest woman to ever complete the Iron Man at age 82. She stood in front of this whole crowd of people, all nervous and anxiety for the next day. Some of them uber fit, ready to try to compete so they can make it to the world champions. The others of us just uh, taking pictures and so proud of ourselves for trying a bucket list thing. But in all of our nervousness about what we are facing, she stops and she says, tomorrow could be a really hard day. A really hard day. Some of you have trained for months, years, and you'll find that your body will fail you. Others of you are going to be discouraged. Some of you are going to find yourself in a really deep moment along the way. When it gets really, really hard, here's what I want you to remember. You were loved into existence. You were loved into existence. Before you did anything, you were already loved, she says. You were loved into existence. We know this is true because Jesus himself experienced it. Before Jesus did anything that would identify him as the Messiah, before he preached a sermon, done a miracle, confronted a power, exercised a demon, spoke prophetically against religious hypocrites, before he'd done anything, there was a voice that met him in the water. A voice that said, you are my beloved, and you I'm well pleased. Eugene Peterson translated as, you are the pride of my life. Dear friends, God knows our fearful hearts. And we were loved into existence. We are well held. So be wary of your fearful heart. 
when you hear the call of God calling you forward, when the call of God calls you to, to go beyond what is familiar, witness to the presence of God, tell stories, remind each other of God's faithfulness over and over again, wrap arms around each other, and wade in. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.